So I think the key thing is actually what you're doing. We have our team and we can feed and work off each other because we come from different backgrounds. Um, but we have to still link to other um, people in our own disciplines and still grow and, and be educated in that way. Hi, I'm Laura Redmond from Cape Town, South Africa, and welcome to another episode of the Radcliffe Vane podcast. Our Hippocrates quote and topic for today is life is short, the art long. And it's about the benefit of a multidisciplinary team approach in vein and lymphatic disease. Now, the reason we are doing this subject um, this week is because it's International Vein Week and venous and lymphatic disease has grown exponentially in the last two decades in terms of research and intervention, and they go hand in hand. And one of the big issues is awareness. And more so from our side, I think it's the combination of venous and lymphatic disease and not just starting a vein clinic. So on the podcast today, I have my, my mini multidisciplinary team, which is Kaya Seleting, who's a vascular technologist. He's also a cardiac perfusionist um, in his previous life. <laughs> he no longer does that. And Sister Emily Abendanon, she's a wound care nurse and a lymphedema therapist and does all our procedures in the practice as well. So the multidisciplinary idea is slightly different because when one thinks of a multidisciplinary team, you think of different specialties working together. Um, and we actually a multidisciplinary team in one specialty in essence, which is a vein and lymphatic clinic. And I'm going to give a little bit of background and then start to involve the others in that when I first started with a vein clinic, doing superficial venous disease and I would scan on my own, treat patients on my own. So it's very isolated in that way. And as it grew, I got Kai involved and he used to scan. And then we did procedures together and we would discuss patients and build up the deep venous system and get our own protocols. And then Emily joined and with her background of wound care nursing, as we did a lot of venous ulcers, et cetera. And then she specialized as well as a lymphedema therapist and we treat lymphedema and that came lipedema and we all do malformation. So it's quite a broad range. So I wanted to ask both Emily and Kaya from a nursing and a technology perspective, what do you see in the benefits of working in a multidisciplinary team as opposed to where you could have been working elsewhere? Okay, uh, for me, like, what's uh, really the benefits for working in this uh, multidisciplinary team? Is that uh, as a multidisciplinary team here, like, um, I'm involved in every journey of the patient from the day the patient comes in to the doors where the patient does a contact, is consulted, scanning, and also like in the planning of the procedure. And also during the procedure, I'm also involved in part of that. And also like the follow-up of the patient, the scanning, just like to know the whole picture of the patient. So I'm all, um, I always know what's going on with the patient. So like, I think that has helped me a lot just to get the full picture of how the patient and the disease which we are managing, like the venous. Because in the previous, maybe if I had worked in another place, uh, just do the diagnosis. You are not involved in the planning of the procedure or any inputs there and not involved also in the operation of the patient. So I think that's really great 
with this uh, team approach we have here getting the whole overview and seeing the patient yeah i always think that with you you see you see the inside of a patient through a scan and now you can see them <laughs> clinically and surgically as well which is good okay let's start there emily what do you well do you find any benefits in terms of the multidisciplinary and what what is beneficial yeah so i think i would definitely back kaya in terms of we all get to see the patient. So from the minute the patient walks in through the door, we get we, we get to see them at assessment. We get to see them um, probably during a procedure, and then we get to see them afterwards and follow them up. Um, it's kind of a almost a one-stop shop, almost if you kind of put it like that. Patients can come um, to our rooms and they can have everything done at once. They can see Dr. Redman. They can see Kai for their scanning. Um, if they need anything in terms of help with um, swelling of any types or edema or wounds, they can see myself. Um, so it's not like in other places where I worked before where we have had to refer patients out and then um, deal with a whole load of other um, practitioners, which is not an issue at all because we still obviously refer patients to other practitioners. Um, but I think it's also for a patient, it, it's, um, it's quite nice for their journey as well and, and nice for their condition if they know that we're all involved and we discuss our patients regularly um, and we're always coming up with new ideas together because we've all got a bit of a different background and things. So we all do our own kind of learning on the side um, and then, yeah, bringing it, bringing it all together. Okay, thank you. Well, that's all positive, positive feedback <laughs> for our practice. We, I guess we don't have somebody arguing against it. Um, but yeah, I think that is part of part of the whole team in terms of being a synlymphatic and, and again, and how it's different. It, it, it is a subspecialty of vascular with the division. So I think the one problem with doing a specialty in any way, you can go down one road and you're not aware of what's going on around you which us three all together, I suppose, could do as well. And that's why we have to, you know, still link to outside disciplines. Um, but I think education is important and we all teach each other in different ways and we see things in different ways. Um, I mean, Kai, if you scan and you see the physiology more, you know, than when we do a venogram or something like that. So I think that helps. Um, do you think there's any negative sides to working as such a team? or any ways that might um, not be beneficial to a person? Yeah, I think maybe like what you said as well, um, we almost potentially maybe get stuck in our own kind of ways um, of doing things. Um, I know we've got protocols for most things, but um, I think that's one of the things when we're treating something like, say, lymphedema, for example, um, different therapists um, have different sort of tricks and stuff, if that makes sense, and different ways of doing things. So, um, yeah, I guess, like I said, one, one could say that if I had my way of doing something, then it's just the way I always do it. Whereas sometimes if you reach out to someone else and you explain, you know, the case and stuff with them, they might have another idea of how to, how, how to also treat the patient. Um, yeah, I think that's probably from my side. Emily, I, I agree with you. And it's good because I think there are points that we actually need to debate within ourselves, um, which is right. So you firstly quite linked to LEOSA, which is the Lymphatic Association of South Africa. Um, and you will discuss with other members of the team there if you have an issue. 
Um, but I'll argue against your point. And I think it's beneficial if Kai and I, we might see things from a different perspective. Um, for me, if it's been from a surgical side or, you know, something I've seen when examining a patient, I might relate it to another aspect of medicine. And Kaya would see from his scanning, you know, even in lymphedema, we've asked him just to check if there's fluid in a tissue. So we know has the lymph really been drained to a significant degree or decongested in that way. So I think the key thing is actually what you're doing. We have our team and we can feed and work of each other because we come from different backgrounds um but we have to still link to other um people in our own disciplines and still grow and and be educated in that way i also like uh, see like uh uh emily's point uh like uh if maybe like uh because like uh especially like on this team, like maybe like uh, I'm the only te technologist here in the practice. So maybe like without like uh, reaching out to other people, seeing how like maybe what new things they have encountered, what new things they've, they do, what new like um, physiological things they see in different patients, just those discussion, I think th they do like help to see like different views. I'm not like maybe like it's uh, just one of those like I think this is downside about this, but um, it's also good because like even though I don't like uh, connected to most of my other people, but I do go out now and then scan in other practices, but just to see how they do things. But what we also like about what we do, we also like do a lot of like uh, web webinars like international webinars so i do get a lot of also other information from over all over the world how they do things with regards to scanning even with operation and the planning so i think that's also part which is very good about this setup mm, okay no that's good and i think well both of you are quite driven on education as well but in another way it is a unique setup and um i mean kaya i've mentioned this to you since you've been with me in that and now it's three of us that we both, we, we all um, involved with the patient, um, you know, from the beginning to the end. And you all know what I look for in a patient. And we, so I understand scanning, but you understand clinically. And Emily, you've taken over a lot of clinical work, you know, and then you've given us information on bandaging and decongestive and wounds, which we've all learned from each other we all try to grow in education in our own way. And I, I actually think that's where um, Venus and lymphatic clinics should go. It shouldn't just be superficial varicose vein clinics. A lot of those exist. Um, we, I mean, that must be a branch of everything, but we've seen many times the overlap of venous and lymphatic disease or venous and disease and lipedema, or when we see the malformations, there's an overlap of a lot of venous and lymphatic. And um, I, th I actually believe it's not always practical. You need that team. So you can't run a clinic without a technologist who knows how to scan, without a wound care nurse, without a lymphedema therapist. So Emily, you're just two in one for us. <laughs> but that's ultimately, it's going to grow how clinics should, and I feel there should be teams almost replicated. That's 
how I would envision it growing, you know, as we understand things more. And then we all put our heads together. I don't think you can get all the rules and regulations and how patients should be managed just coming from a surgical side. You need everybody's input because we all see the patient. So I think we should replicate our, our clinic, but maybe just for the audience as well, and it's because it's Awareness Week, we should just mention a little bit of the overlap or, or um, some of the subjects, you know, how we all see them. So Emily, do you want maybe want to chat about um, lipidema or lymphedema and how we all just a little bit of awareness about it, how we investigate them and manage them? Sure. So, um, yeah, we look at our patients very um, from different points of view, definitely. So if they come in with swelling of a limb, um, we don't just look at it as, oh, it's lymphedema. Um, we investigate it um, more thoroughly, definitely. So Kaya will always do a scan um, to check the veins to see if there's any venous component that um, might um, be causing um, swelling. And if it's a patient who we suspect might have lipedema, he also does a lipedema scan um, to measure um, tissue distances. Um, and he's come up with, um, with a really nice table that he puts everything in that's from overseas, I think. Um, and it's a big growing area, things like lipedema. It's still quite, an, especially in South Africa anyway, it's still, it's still a very new condition that not many people know about. Um, so we've been looking at ways that we can, yeah, like I say, treat this person kind of altogether. And if there is um, a venous component, like I say, that's attributing to something like the swelling, even maybe they might have a venous component with the lipedema, not that it's the same, they're different conditions, but um, then we would always want to go in and help to treat the cause. So like I say, for example, if it is someone who's got a lot of swelling and we find, and Kaya finds that there is venous incompetency, then we can hopefully try and, if it's superficial especially, then we can try and hopefully um, resolve that superficial um, incompetency and reflux, um, which will definitely help with someone's swelling. And then I can come in as well and I can do their decongestive therapy before they have their procedure if they need it. And then also make sure that they've got the correct garments to wear afterwards. Um, again, like I say, all quite new things, um, new areas, but um, yeah, we all work together to um, try and make out the best treatment plan for our patients. I think, I think that is fantastic. And if you guys think there should be somebody else in the group or in the team, who would you think or what discipline would add value to a venous and lymphatic clinic? Um, uh, from my point, I think like uh, uh, the involvement of like um, uh, podiatrist and maybe like biokinesiologist, because most of the time it's limb swelling, what we've realized like most of the time, which is not really, most people don't pay attention to this, is the way the patient walks, uh, their gaze and like the fail of the calf muscle pump if they are working. So that's like one of the major causes of limb swelling when the patient don't use their calf, ma pa ma calf pump muscle. So I think with the addition of those uh, biokineticists and uh, maybe uh, podiatrists, then we can help like to find a way to correct that, to make the patient, the patient be able to use their, their ma calf muscle pump. 
So uh, this is what I think can also add value to. I would have said as well to help. I mean, it's such a problem area is that so it's patients really have foot issues, knee issues, or are elderly and obese. Um, you don't activate their calf pump. We try and we, you know, we need to get someone involved to help. So I, I agree with that. Um, and I think the other element that's coming into all clinics everywhere is the overweight and obesity. Um, so we've started to see a lot of those ones um, and try and get a, almost a separate little multidisciplinary team for them. Emily, do you just want to mention those? Yeah, so like you say, we've we've been seeing um, patients with venous conditions, um, maybe even some lipidema and some lymphedema as well, where they have where they do where they are classed technically as obese. Um, there is quite a big connection between um, lymphatic conditions and vascular conditions when it comes to obesity. And again, that's one of the ways of looking at our patients holistically is that we help them to treat the cause so we can help them with their veins and stuff, but we also need to try and help them with their weights um, so that they can get to a BMI that's more in the, um, that's healthier for them and less risky for them. Um, so we've been looking at developing um, a group um, for, for our patients in the practice that's run by um, a psychologist um, who we've worked with a little bit as well. She's worked with some of our lipedema patients too in a successful um, support group. So we're now trying to make the same thing as well for, uh, for patients who um, need to have some support with, with, their, with their weight loss as well. Um, and with that, um, we've been also looking at developing like a, like a plan that can go along with them that involves things like setting goals, how to set goals, um, keeping motivation up. Um, and yeah, cause I think again, it's an important component to, um, be looking at that as well. Not just, not just their legs and their veins. Mm. No, thanks, Emily. And I think I must um, compliment you as well on your work you've done. So the one issue that then arises with that, so we've all mentioned, have a podiatrist, have a biokineticist, there's a psychologist, sometimes we send to physio, sometimes to an orthotist, but for a patient, they can't go to all those places and then it becomes exceptionally expensive. So I think that's um, thought about it as well, how we manage that. And I think that's, every practice needs to actually have some form of lifestyle management or preventative medicine for their patients. And I think in essence, that's what we've been trying to bring in, but then we need to have the knowledge about it. So you've started with plans and, you know, food things we'll do adipose scans or lipidema scans to help people become aware of where they're at, what their goals should be um, before sending them out. And only when they're ready, then let them, you know, go to another place where they can also be able then to gain value and be prepared to pay for an additional service. So I think that's part of what most clinics should keep in mind as well as keep the, the lifestyle and preventative medicine part of it. Okay, so again, I'm going to highlight the International Vein Week Awareness and just bring in something that's been newer Kaya, do you want to chat a little bit about 
the malformations because we've been seeing more and more of them and we believe they're more treatable but it, we never used to see it again there was a lack of awareness or we used to just manage or venous and lymphatic malformations with compression and very conservatively unless they were life or limb threatening and in that way again Kaya scanned the patients I've seen we've read the MRIs together He's come to theater with me when we do venograms or, or treatment thereof and manage them post-op. So do you want to just mention a little bit about what we see and how we've grown in that way as a team and what we've developed? Okay, so because uh, <clears throat> with malformations, like I said, quite a, like Dr. Redmond has said, it's, it's a quite a fairly new thing to us and also me, like since I've started the uh, scanning yeah so it's uh, also just a new brown butter like uh but like we, yeah there's been a lot of lack of awareness so even for myself so but like since we have started uh seeing malformation and doing them we found that there's quite a lot of uh people in the country with venous malformation and some also like they do affect the quality of life of people even like so what's uh We've just like done a lot of uh, of stuff. So I do when uh, when the patient comes, like uh, as Dr. Regiment says, we just uh, do the we see they mostly do the MRI just to see the extent of the malformation, and maybe it's like delineates the what type of malformation. But much we've mostly done is uh, venous malformation. So like uh, on on scanning like. Uh, we'll just uh, look at uh, what types of malformations we can see. So like they're usually just abnormal, abnormal growths of veins, which are usually what which usually happen maybe during during birth or embryology. So like some veins which are not uh, connected to the main system of the venous drainage. So they do some 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 of the venous malformation. They're not part of the normal venous system, so they draw, they don't drain with the normal venous. They just venous pocket, which just carry blood. Then some can cause discomfort or pain to patient who's suffering from them. So which can lead um, to patient maybe even like if maybe the malformation is around the knee, which you've seen. So which can lead to the patient not using this limb. So a patient can end up developing developing a contracture. We've seen some of this, and so like as we've learned, uh, there's a now the malformations are treatable. So like this helps can help like the pre prevent patients from reaching the stage where they uh, their quality of life is affected, or to correct them when they already reach the stage. So like. But uh, we've created quite some success with uh, some of the patients we've created uh, for the malformations. Mm. No, I think it's true. And the more we start seeing them, you know, the more we, we see. And it is definitely beneficial to create that awareness. It's like everything in venous and lymphatic. It's more about improving the quality of life than not necessarily limor, um limb-saving or life-saving procedures. Okay, good. So those are generally children um, picked up usually as discolorations or round joints if they start yeah, getting immobilization or limping or anything like that, they should be investigated. And we'll generally treat with alcohol sclerosant. But um, 
Sometimes coils and other interventions are necessary. And that's where Emily then came in again as part of the team because most of those patients need compression. Um, and as most of them are children, they need custom-made compression. Um, Emily, do you want to chat a little bit about that at all? Sure. So the, cust uh, the compression sometimes is actually quite tricky because, well, the patients that we've seen so far, that I've seen so far, um, whilst I've been at the practice, have all been children. Um, a lot of compression companies don't make um, ready-made garments that would fit a child. So a special one has to be made. So we have to take, and this is actually where I usually involve an orthotist to come and help. Um, the orthotists have a wide range of ideas and access to, to a lot more garments. Um, so I usually will ask the orthotist to come and um, she will measure the child um, and we'll make sure that they get, get a correct garment because for their post-op care especially, it's really important that they have the garment so that they're getting that compression on the area that you have treated in theatre um, to really maximise the benefits of what, of what that will do. So it is sometimes quite tricky, again, especially because um, garments aren't made in South Africa. They will have to be made in Europe. So it takes quite a lot of planning to make sure that everything is measured on time, ordered in time, um, gets gets delivered on time. Um, but so far, we've had everyone's been happy with their garments, which is good. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Josh. So I think it's nice just highlighting the, the side of Venus that is not well known and then some of you know, the issues and how we all play a role. So the you mentioned lymphedema earlier and the malformations. I think varicose veins are well known. Um, venous ulcers, we treat a lot. I think maybe one of the newer things is treating patients with post-thrombotic limbs. So patients who have had deep vein thrombosis before, and now we are getting referred to these patients more in the early stages. So patients um, are treated as an emergency if they develop a deep vein thrombosis because clot can go to heart and lung and there's a risk of dying. But we always ignore the long-term effects and that's where the post-thrombotic um, syndrome comes into play. And patients develop chronic swelling, discoloration, wounds. And then we will try now and intervene surgically to improve the leg. And that's very, very much a multidisciplinary because Kaya will scan them plenty times. We need a baseline. We'll intervene often more than once and Emily will manage the swelling and wound. So I think that's an important part, but more importantly is the awareness of it because patients are now starting to come in the early phases where they can be given compression or have lymph drainage or um, you know, encouraged on activity to actually prevent that ever occurring. So I think that's another area that's Need, it's gaining more awareness, but certainly needs a lot more because we can prevent a lot of chronic issues. Um, last year, we touched as well on pelvic congestion syndrome with the gynees to create some awareness. And I think this has slowly also increased over the last year, which you know needs to more as well. Um, Kaya, do you want to mention a little bit just what pelvic congestion syndrome is and what you would look for on scanning? Okay, so with the what's a uh, pelvic congestion uh, is usually like uh, when parents will where uh, will uh, patients will come with uh, like a 
some like chronic abdominal uh, pelvic pain and heaviness around this area. When like also like other gynae scans, like a patient has been to a gynae has excluded any other, any other causes of the pain. So when the patient usually comes, so what you usually look at when a patient comes with those symptoms. So most of the time we just uh, have to look at the pelvic or we do a pelvic scan looking at the iliac veins to see to see if there's no maintainers or compression of the iliac veins which can all, which can lead to pressure lower down the iliac veins into the lower limbs or into the internal iliac which can cause like pelvic varicoceses or sometimes patients like do decompress from the pelvic varicoceses so they start developing like a high thigh veins or like also other like a vaginal veins. So that's when you see patients with those veins. So like there's highly likely something happening in the pelvis, whether you see the maintainer's syndrome or some patient do present with a ovarian reflux. So that's what you usually see with those patients when they come up with those high with those high thigh veins or even like posterior thigh veins, which are in uh, which don't have any which are not usually involved the tranquil veins like the great saphenous veins or the uh, short, small saphenous veins. And also what can make us suspect that the patient maybe has like a maintainers or even like a pelvic congestion or like a um, ovarian vein reflux is when a patient has like a, has, has done a lot of like venous surgery, like high venous stripping, GSP stripping, or even like cut this adjustment for the veins, but like has developed like, a lot of recurrence, like patient maybe is, is, does like three surgeries, but the veins always return, especially around the groin areas. So, so that must indicate that the patient might have uh, problems higher up. So we always check those patients, to check just to exclude that there's no maintainers or ovarian vein reflux. And also like we've made it a standard for us, any patient which comes with like uh, from class three up, so we always like check routinely the pelvic pelvic veins and the iliac veins, just to make sure that the, there's no contribution, there's no, there's no contribution from the iliac veins or ovarian veins to the swelling. So like it's a standard in this process now where patient with class three, Going up, we always check the abdomen and the pelvic area. Okay, thanks, Kai. Yes, I think that awareness is what importantly why we say you can't just have leg varicose vein clinics. You need to know what's going on often higher up. Um, and if a patient has pelvic symptoms, they might have pelvic congestion syndrome, which means they've had chronic pelvic pain for more than six months, and it can be from something in the abdomen or pelvis. So um, pelvic varicosities, ovarian reflux, or any of the compression syndromes. So that is definitely becoming more recognized and by our fellow gynees. And the other area, I think superficial veins have been covered plenty times. Um, the other area is lipedema for you, Emily. <laughs> so with lymphedema, we've started to um, see more lipedema, which is, is more well-recognized overseas, but definitely there's a lack of awareness here. It can be overdiagnosed for sure, but it can also be misdiagnosed as obesity or being fat so do you want to just mention what that is just to create a little bit of awareness around that 
Sure. So lipedema itself is an adipose tissue um, disorder. Um, I have uh, seen a few patients who have been diagnosed with lymphedema, um, whereas lymphedema is a lymph condition and a fluid condition. Lipedema, on the other hand, is not fluid. It's, it's adipose tissue. So sometimes people are misdiagnosed like that just because I think not as many people potentially know about it. Again, you know, it's about raising more of that awareness of it. Um, some of our patients who come as well, um, uh, a lot of them know quite a lot about lipedema already. They've done quite a lot of research themselves. They've Shame. They've, they've come from places where they've tried to do things like lose weights. Um, lipedema tissue, though, is generally very unresponsive to any form of, of dieting or any type of exercise. So they come understandably really, really desperate for a diagnosis and to understand what's going on. Um, there isn't any type of uh, specific like medical test or diagnose or diagnostic tool that we can use to absolutely definitely know that they have lipedema. Um, we have put together a set of criteria though that we look at to help us um, diagnose it. So for example, that'll be something like we look at their waist to height ratio. If that is less than 0.75, um, World Health Organization um, define that as being a dispro disproportionate um, accumulation of fat tissue and therefore it is possibly suggestive that they have lipedema. Um, like I said, Kaya also does a lipedema scan for the, uh, for the patient to see to measure their um, the distances between all the tissues. Um, and we can look at that as well as, a, as either being suggestive or, or not suggestive of the lipedema. Uh, we also look at their tissue and uh, we look at um, the shape of their bodies as well. So uh, they've devised stages and types of the condition. So we will look at that as well. Um, and then I think probably the most frustrating thing for everyone is that there's no cure for it. So instead of it being a, a cur curative condition, it has to become more management orientated and lifestyle orientated. Um, again, we've div uh, Dr. Redmond's devised a um, sort of a, we call it the Optivan way, which looks at lifestyle factors um, uh, to help people manage their condition. A lot of the time, um, patients will have um, very sensitive skin um, and they will uh, bruise quite easily. So it's things like that that we have to help them manage. Um, compression is one of them. But again, compression is quite difficult for some of these ladies because it has to be custom made. And again, there's actually a cost issue involved. Um, but again, it's not really a one size fits all either. So we always suggest to patients that they just try things as well to see what works for them. Um, we've also uh, started a lipedema support group, which is run by a psychologist. Um, and that is every second week. Um, so patients can join that and get support on anything that they would like. And it's a way for them to meet other people who have a similar condition to them. And I know that it's quite useful because they all share ideas about different ways that have helped them maybe like manage pain or manage some discomforts. Um, so yeah, again, look at looking at our patients holistically. Um, you know, we don't only want to just make sure that they have no pain, but we also want to help them maybe to deal with it more on a, on a social level, on a psychological level. So that's where the, the outside psychologist comes in. 
Thanks, Emily. So I think you touched again on the importance of multidisciplinary team and then you know links to other ones. Um, so I suppose it's multidisciplinary and not to be in isolation. Um, and just to, I think just also for listeners, because of the lack of awareness, um, I'll just add on to what you said with lipedema. I also always explain to patients, um, it is a condition that happens in women. It's basically abnorm abnormal uh, or disproportionate, like you said, accumulation of fat, but it's in the female distribution. So they gain weight in the hips, thighs, and up to the ankles, spares the feet is one of the clinical signs, um, sometimes in the upper arms. So if they lose weight, they'll lose it on their abdomen or upper body. And patients have got almost anorexic on the upper body and still had these large limbs. So it's a definite pathological condition. We know there's a hormone influence because it occurs in women unless there's derangements in the men, although there's no specific hormone level or deficiency that causes it. Hormone resistance has been looked at. Um, it's also been described as a connective tissue disorder because the fat is pathologically different or histologically different from normal adipose tissue. And patients have fragility of capillaries and small vessels, so they bruise easily. And we've definitely seen it that their limbs are um, more tender and they have more inflammation. One of the risk factors for it is weight gain. So explain that is a problem. They gain weight and then in those areas, they really, really struggle to lose it. So weight management as frustrating as it is to tell them is part of it. So we also explain a patient can have lipidema and they can be overweight or obese. So that side you can manage. Um, and I think that also brings me to the, the point of um, the other, well, let me actually, before I get there, Kai, do you want to quickly mention what you look for on the lipedema scan? We do, again, there's no diagnostic tool, but we combine clinically, symptomatically, and then your radiologically um, and see if they're more, more than likely can be diagnosed with lipedema. So just mention the scan. Okay, so what I usually look for is just like uh, from the, is uh, I mean, is says like uh, the first distribution is around like uh, the gonadal areas. So like uh, I found uh, like uh, an interesting paper from overseas, which was trying to like use ultrasound as the diagnostic tool for lipidemia. So they did this study like for all BMI groups, then they did like found the cutoff values for the thickness of those areas, which I'm going to just mention now. So the first area is just the anterior thigh, just a mid portion from above the knee. So I just measure like the adipose thickness from the muscle then to the skin. Then what the other areas, which was with lipidema patient where like usually like there's an accumulation first is the peri peritibial areas just below the knee on the middle side. So that's also the area which I do measure the thickness from the skin to the muscle and also the perimaleolar area. So like they like that's what we see with the um, lipidema patient, like that's uh, ankle cutoff sign. So the perimaleolar is the ankle joint. That's where like the also the fat deposition happens. So that's where area we measure. So that's also the thickness there which I measure. So like there are those values which I do measure. If it's above the cutoff, then it's usually like we indicate that the patient is highly likely has lipidema. So what's this, this kind of like is still fairly new. So it's still like uh, still more research to be done. But like for now, we just like 
use it in conjunction with the clinical diagnosis of lipedema, then like it can like make it more likely that the patient has lipedema, not just obese, obese patient. Excellent. Thanks, Kaya. Okay, and I think the last point to mention of for awareness of um, venous and lymphatic is aesthetic phlebology. So the aesthetic side of, of veins, we do treat some varicose and mostly spider veins aesthetically. Also, hand and face veins can, can be included. Um, and that's when we left with one person in our multidisciplinary team <laughs> will join us as a plastic surgeon. And the lipedema reminded me of that as well, because some some patients do eventually do liposuction, which will be done by a plastic surgeon. So with that, I think we've highlighted the whole overview of venous and lymphatic disease and the benefits of having a multidisciplinary team and the team working together and looking about lifestyle and preventative medicine as well so thanks for joining and uh, yeah we'll be back with another vein podcast soon